Just for a Closer Walk podcast. This is episode 18. My name is Joel Oslin, and I am privileged, as always, to have you here with us. So we're picking back up where we left off last episode, which was going through the book of Joshua and continuing our brief Old Testament overview as we are setting the stage for understanding the shared culture, context, and background of the people of Israel, in particular, and how that relates to the way that the people would have understood the teachings, ministry, and work of Jesus in his ministry that we see in the Gospels. And eventually, once we get through our Old Testament recap, the goal and the plan is to spend the foreseeable future, probably at least the next uh, few years, doing a chronological study through the New Testament. And depending on how that all goes and how long that all takes, uh, hopefully eventually being able to cycle back around and do the same thing in the Old Testament. So we know that's going to be quite a ways down the road, so I thought it would be very helpful to do a quick recap and overview of the Old Testament just in case you've not read it all the way through and or just in case it's a little bit hazy for you as far as how everything lines up. So we've been going through, we started out in Genesis with the creation account. We've worked our way through the entire Pentateuch. And then last episode, we worked through the book of Joshua and how that all lands in the chronology. So that brings us to the book of Judges, which is a very interesting read. It is probably the record of Israel's darkest era the darkest days of Israel's history uh, in terms of just recording their their great descent into um, idolatry, into sin and wickedness. And it's just a reminder that when we don't remain focused, we don't keep our eyes on the author and sustainer of life, and we instead try to fill our needs and our desires with uh, really anything that is less anything else in life, that the inevitable outcome is going to be less than the best. So that is kind of touching on the nature of salvation. God's trying to save us from anything that is less than the best. And when we think that we are God, we choose to proceed as if we are God. The inevitable consequence and outcome is everything less than the best. So there's a very high-level short version of the nature of salvation. Feel free to dive into that if you have more questions about it. So when we pick up the book of Judges coming out of Joshua, so of course Joshua we mentioned last episode is commonly referred to as the conquest narrative. So that's when the Israelites, the people, the family turned nation of Israel has basically finally come out of the wilderness, out of their 40 years of exile, uh, after being exodused, led out from slavery in Egypt through a great display of uh, deliverance. They spend 40 years in the wilderness uh, with the hope of preparing them to take the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And... To a degree, they became prepared, and to another very large, as uh, evidenced through the book of Judges, uh, unfortunate degree, 
the people really never did get fully prepared for inheriting the land and, uh, and living out their side of the covenant that they made with God. So that is sad, but the uh, but nevertheless, they do enter the land. They take it over um, in a very different way than uh, God's original plan was. But they take it over nevertheless, and they divvy it up amongst the different tribes. And so it brings us into the book of Judges, and early on we see that uh, the way, what tends to happen when we don't follow God's will and we uh, decide to act out what we think is God's plan, but we want to act it out in our own way. So essentially we're acting out our own will. We discover very quickly how, uh, how, how sideways, how downhill things can go. And it is almost immediate. So even looking at Judges chapter 1, verse 27, uh, the first part of the chapter talks about uh, the various tribes of Israel going in and dispossessing the former inhabitants of the land so that the Israelites could take residence. And in verse 28, it says that when Israel became strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but they also did not drive them out completely. And what do we know about putting people to forced labor is, well, they grew to resent you. Um, That's not really the way that life was meant to be lived. It's not under forced labor. And the fact that they did not completely drive them out meant that they essentially were establishing an ongoing relationship with a people that would grow to become a proverbial thorn in the side for generations to come. And was toying around with a lot of the different passages in chapter 2 because it does such a brilliant job of outlining the story of Israel, and particularly in the early years leading into the season of the judges, the dark days of Israel's history. And there's so much that is so good in chapter 2 that I figured let's just read it together rather than try to pick and choose certain parts that might be a little bit easier to uh, to palate or to taste. Um, because I think the way that it's written as it is is going to be more accurate, more holistic in the story that it lays out for us. So uh, Judges chapter 2. Now the angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal to Bakim, and he said, I brought you up out of Egypt, and I led you into the land which I have sworn to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And as for you, you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but rather you should tear down the altars. But you have not obeyed me. What is this you have done? Therefore also I said, I will not drive them out before you, but they will become as thorns in your sides, and their gods will be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke all these things to the sons of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and wept. So they named that place Bakim, which means weepers, and there they sacrificed to the Lord. When Joshua had dismissed the people, the sons of Israel each went to his inheritance to possess the land. The people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who had survived Joshua, who had seen all the great work of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Then Joshua, the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. And they buried him in the territory of his inheritance at Timnah-Herez, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. And that generation also were gathered up to their fathers. But there arose another generation after them who did not know the Lord, nor the work which he had done for Israel. 
Then the sons of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt and followed other gods among whom the other people around them had worshipped and bowed themselves down to them. Thus they provoked the Lord to anger. So they forsook the Lord and they served Baal and the Ashtaroth. The anger of the Lord burned against Israel. He gave them into the hands of plunderers who plundered them, and he sold them into the hands of their enemies around them, so that they could no longer stand before their enemies. Wherever they went, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had spoken and as the Lord had sworn to them, and so that they were severely distressed. Then the Lord raised up judges who delivered them from the hands of those who plundered him. Yet they did not listen to their judges, for they played the harlot after other gods and bowed themselves down to them. They turned aside quickly from the way in which their fathers had walked in obeying the commandments of the Lord. They did not do as their fathers. When the Lord raised up judges for them, the Lord was with the judge and delivered them from the hand of their enemies all the days of the judge. For the Lord was moved to pity by their groaning because of those who oppressed and afflicted them. But it came about that when the judge died, they would turn back and act more corruptly than their fathers in following other gods to serve them and to bow down to them. They did not abandon their practices or their stubborn ways. So the anger of the Lord burned against Israel, and he said, Because this nation has transgressed my covenant, which I commanded their fathers, and has not listened to my voice, I will also no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died in order to test Israel by them, whether they will keep the way of the Lord and walk in it as their fathers did, or not. So the Lord allowed those nations to remain, not driving them out quickly, and he did not give them into the hand of Joshua or the Israelites. And so that's uh, Judges chapter 2. Now you might ask, okay, so who were these nations left that were left for the testing of Israel. And there's basically four nations that were mentioned. So that's the Philistines, the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites. Now, in addition to that, we do have it explicitly written that uh, beyond this, nations, uh, there were a few nations that Israel specifically cohabited with, lived with, um, intermarried with, and worshipped with. In other words, took on the worship practices and idols of these nations. So these will include the Canaanites, that still includes the Hivites, the Hittites, which you might recognize from world history, of course the Jebusites, and very famously the Amorites. So those are the five uh, that are explicitly listed as being uh, some of the local nations that Israel intentionally assimilated with and adopted many of their uh, pagan worship practices from. So if you're going through and you're reading a lot of the Old Testament and you're wondering where a lot of these weird images of systems of sacrifice and uh, bloodthirstiness come from, a lot of it is Israel's intentional decision to assimilate and adopt the culture, the practices, the ways, the worship, and the religion of the peoples around them. So again, that's not necessarily something that is a reflection of God's character, but rather a reflection of the pagan cultures in the area that the Israelites decided to adopt and assimilate and take on via osmosis, as it were. So, (laughs) all right, so that sets the stage and really it outlines the whole book of the judges. However, it would also be fun to do just kind of an overview of 
who were the major judges that arose in this season of time? And maybe what were some of the key points uh, that would be worth mentioning on each one? So uh, just kind of going to go down the list here, and we'll have one break in the middle that I'll get to uh, shortly. Uh, but I want to start out with the very first judge that rises up, and it happens uh, do basically the first oppressor that arises in the book of Judges is the king of Mesopotamia. And so he oppresses Israel for a duration of eight years. So Othniel, who's actually the younger brother of Caleb, rises up as the first judge and delivers Israel through the power of the Holy Spirit. And as a result, during his term as judge over Israel, the nation actually experiences 40 years of rest from oppressors, which is pretty impressive. Um, Not too long after that, the people turn back to idolatry, even worse so than before. And so the Lord allows the nation of Moab to arise and oppress Israel. And they actually oppressed Israel for 18 years. So the judge that arose during that period was Ehud. And again, through the power of uh, the Holy Spirit, he uh, is able to deliver the nation of Israel from their oppressors, and they experience 80 years of rest. And then there arise a few uh, occasions here that don't necessarily have specific durations mentioned, but we see that the Philistines rise up to oppress, and the judge that rises up to deliver is Shamgar, followed by the Canaanites rising up to oppress. And this is where we get a a very familiar duo, uh, Deborah and Barak. 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 I'm going to call him Barak, (laughs) because that's fun. Uh, and they rise up, and you might remember that one because Deborah is one of the powerhouse women mentioned in the Old Testament, who's actually a prophetess, and she calls out Barak. I'm going to jump back and forth between Barak and Barak, so I apologize if that's confusing. Uh, anyways, so Deborah calls out Barak and says, look, you're going to be the one that rises up in this season to help deliver Israel from the Canaanites. And Barak says, well, I'm only going to go if you go. You know, it's this big, uh, bold, strong man hiding behind the uh, the prophetess saying, hey, if you go, I'm, I'm good, but otherwise, peace out. So anyways, they, uh, they experience great deliverance, of course. Um, and then another famous one that rises up is the uh, Midianites come up and oppress the nation of Israel for seven years. And that's where we get the famous judge Gideon, who is called a valiant warrior while he is hiding from the Midianites. He's hiding out in a wine press, trying to thresh out grain, uh, basically to keep it from (laughs) being stolen or destroyed by the Midianites. So that's pretty fantastic. Uh, Gideon has a pretty interesting story, a lot of high points, definitely a lot of low points, unfortunately. And in a nutshell, uh, his period of reign uh, of judgment, excuse me, his period of uh, being a judge over Israel is basically about 40 years. Now, Gideon apparently was quite the ladies' man because he had many wives and he actually had 70 sons, which is a lot. (laughs) Who knows how many daughters he had as well. Maybe that was one of the early inspirations to Solomon. Uh, Anyways, one of Gideon's sons is Abimelech and he's actually uh, the one from uh, one of Gideon's concubines. So 
Abimelech is his name, and he actually rises up after Gideon's death. Uh, Abimelech rises up, kills all of his brothers, and sets himself up as the first king of Israel. And I put in parentheses here the first tyrant king of Israel. Uh, he reigned three years and then died in battle. Very bloody, uh, very short-lived reign. Um, after him, of course, the people continued in their cycles of idolatry. Um, so we see a judge named Tola judge the nation for 23 years, followed by Jair for 22 years, uh, after which time we saw the Philistines and the Ammonites severely oppress the nation of Israel for 18 years. And it wasn't until Jephthah, who was actually an outcast, he was the son of a harlot, um, but he was a great warrior, very valiant man. And the people, because they were being physically oppressed through uh, military might, they said, hey, we're going to call this guy in. We're going to go ahead and set him up as basically the judge over us, as our military deliverer. And uh, Jephthah agrees, and we see deliverance uh, for a period of six years. Uh, after Jephthah, we see Ibzan, who's a judge for seven years, followed by Elon for ten years, and then Abdon for a period of eight years. And last but not least, the last uh, judge, or at least the last solo judge, as it were, is the famous Samson, who, of course, is rising up during the oppression of the Philistines. And the Philistines actually oppressed the nation for a period of 40 years, so that's pretty significant. Um, now, Samson, uh, probably the most familiar of all of the judges, so I'm not going to go into too many details of his story, other than to say that his reign as a judge, his um, the time of his judging Israel, uh, was about a period of about 20 years. Now, what is interesting is if you go back and you look at a timeline and you look at some of the overlaps, uh, you'll actually see that Eli was the priest over, uh, over Israel, but he was also considered a judge as well. So he was a priest slash judge. Uh, and then after him, of course, the young boy, Samuel, who was a prophet in later years, as he grew to become, uh, a prophet as well as a judge. So when I say that Samson's the last solo judge, uh, that's meant to kind of exclude Eli and uh, Samuel. So that's the, uh, that's the whole qualifier on that. Now, Eli actually was a contemporary all the way from Jair through pretty much all the judges up to, uh, I would say probably Elon, maybe kind of the early early years of Abdon. Um, and then uh, Samuel, you see kind of coming on the scene as a, of course, he would have been a young boy during uh, Samson's years of judging, uh, but he would definitely have been a contemporary. So uh, maybe that helps to put things on the timeline a little bit and understanding where these uh, very famous figures in Israel's history line up on the timeline with their contemporaries. So what happens is, unfortunately, there is a spell of time that lapses between Samson serving as judge over Israel and before really Samuel comes into his full calling as prophet slash judge over the nation. So in this in-between period, we see starting in Judges chapter 17, uh, verse, let's see, where is that? Verse 6, we see a verse that pops up and it says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. And by association, no judge either. And it says that every man did what was right in his own eyes. 
oh my goodness, and yikes. And that is so accurate. And what we see through the remaining chapters of the book of Judges is just a severely sharp decline of the nation of Israel into pretty much the <laughs> the epitome of paganism, of idolatry, of civil war. And keep in mind that Israel is a family as well. So it's this nation, of course, generations and generations of, of, of expansion, causing it to be massive as a nation, but it is a family. And so when, when you start to see uh, talks about civil war and you see tribe rising up against tribe and shedding blood, what makes it so sad is to realize that this is a family that is basically fighting itself and slaughtering itself, which happens when each man only does what's right in his own eyes without following uh, an objective moral code. So when everything is subjective and nothing is objective, the natural state or the natural progression of man's heart is... (laughs) Oh, let's see. I think the Holy Spirit said it right in Genesis 6. He says, the, Every thought of man's heart was only evil continuously. And unfortunately, we see that epitomized through the remaining uh, four chapters of the book of Judges. So it ends in chapter 21 in verse 25 with the exact same phrase. It says, In those days there was no king in Israel, and everyone did what was right in his own eyes. And... Anyone uh, that's ever studied or read the book of Judges, and even just this very brief uh, high-level overview of it, is hopefully just enough to to appreciate why it's often referred to as Israel's darkest days uh, in their history, kind of the black mark on their record. So we will end it there on a little bit of a low note this week on this episode. Uh, Now, the good thing is, give you a little bit of a a teaser with some hope for the next episode, is that we're going to actually get to start out in uh, both covering Ruth, which takes place during the period of the Judges, but it's a a story of hope and redemption and light, even in the midst of a dark season. And we're going to move from there and actually start chipping away into uh, 1 Samuel as well. And, of course, seeing Samuel come on the scene with the famous passage of, uh, even as a boy, being called by the angel of the Lord. And he comes running to Eli. He says, here I am. And Eli says, I didn't call you. And being called several times before Eli catches on and says, ah, okay, I see what's happening. And he says, the next time you hear the voice, just respond, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. And that's when the boy Samuel hears from the word of the Lord for the first time, and he, and he responds the way that I hope each of us have done and will do and continue to do, which is a choice for us to make each day, each time that we feel the impression of the Holy Spirit on our heart, is to say, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. So we'll end there on that high note, the note of hope, anticipation, and excitement, and the acknowledgement that it is in our own right, capacity, and responsibility to respond to the Lord when he speaks to us thusly. Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Mm-hmm.